Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Thank you so very much. I hope you have your Bibles today. And let me encourage you to find your place in Acts chapter number 12. Acts chapter number 12. And with that thought in mind, Jesus Christ is worthy. Amen? Amen. He's worthy of all glory, all honor, and all praise. God is still on the throne. He still has the power to heal. He can even reach down and touch a little 14-year-old boy who's sick in the hospital And what was anticipated to be a two-week hospital stay ended up being only five days. Why? Because God is worthy and he's uh, able to heal. And I praise God for his touch on my son's life. And let me just also say thank you, church, for praying. I got something to say about that here in just a few moments. But we have been preaching through a series of messages entitled Living with Biblical Clarity. Living with Biblical Clarity. If there's ever a time where this nation... Our culture needs to see biblical clarity fleshed out, lived out. It's today. Uh, There is an assault and attack upon Christianity today. There's an assault and attack upon the Word of God today. And the only thing that's going to continue to show the world the truth is how you and I respond to the cultural pressures, the cultural uh, difficulties the, even the personal difficulties that we go through today. I was just sharing with David. I said, I, I thank God for the trial that we've just been through this week. I don't know how your week was, but mine was rough. Man, I had a rough week last week. But I'm grateful that uh, God sees fit that even in pastors' lives, that we go through trials and tribulations just like everybody else. We go through heartache and trials. And look, here's the deal. I got to raise teenagers just like you had to raise teenagers and are raising teenagers. And uh, you know how that is. God be the glory for that. And we've got uh, just a few more boys to get through. The girls were a whole lot easier than the boys. But that's a whole other sermon. I'll deal with that some other time. Uh, At any rate, I want to thank you for your prayers. Let's look at this text. And I want to deal with this topic. Church faithfulness in cultural unfaithfulness. How does the church stay faithful to God when the culture is unfaithful to God. And let's face it, we're dealing and we're living in a culture that's unfaithful to God. I mean, we could just go right down through the list. Let's think about it just for a minute. The Bible says that creation is how we all got here. The world says evolution. Uh, The Bible says that gender is a man and a woman. The culture says that it's LGBTQ+. Uh, The culture uh, says that Uh, In regards to to this issue of marriage, it's between whoever wants to get married. You want to marry a tree, then go right ahead. We would redefine that. The Bible says it's between a man and a woman. And so when you look at what the Bible says and how our culture is living, it's complete opposite. I mean, we have a cultural situation where unfaithfulness is ruling. And we as born-again children of God have to make a decision. Will we continue to stay faithful to the Word of God or will we move? Will we move in our value systems? Will we move in, our, uh, in the things that we hold true concerning uh, the Word of God? Are, are we going to hold the supremacy of, our, of the Word of God or are we going to hold to it that it's some type of changing element that we can just go with the flow? Um, I submit to you today that the Bible says what the Bible says. And there are cultural applications for us today. And the number one thing Jesus said that we can do is love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. And so it is imperative that during cultural shifts and during cultural unfaithfulness that you and I individually as born again children of God stay faithful to God. 
And in staying faithful to God, even if we go through a challenge, even if we go through a difficult time, even if you go through a hospital visit with a teenage boy that is really that we don't know what's going on in his life and what is happening there, we still don't lose faith in God. He is going to see us through and he's going to help us through. And so this morning, I want us to look at chapter number 12 in verses 1 through 25. And I want you to see church faithfulness uh, in a culture of unfaithfulness. Now, let me just set the scene if I could. Here's the context of what's happening. Remember, when you look at chapter 11 in verse number 30, we see that Barnabas and Saul are on their way to the Jerusalem church. And they are taking an offering that was collected by the church of the dogs. That's the Gentiles. Remember, the Gentiles are considered dogs by the Jews. They received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord and became uh, engrafted into the Abrahamic covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. So they're no longer dogs. They're now children of God. And in their compassion for the famine that is happening in the area, they take up a collection, they take up an offering to send back to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, the Jewish church, because they need some financial help to help get through the famine. They take up the offering and they send Paul and Barnabas back to uh, Jerusalem church to help the church. That, that is the mission. That is the task. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. The Bible says, then says, now about that time, Herod. So in the midst of the famine, in the midst of the offering coming to the Jerusalem church, a man by the name of Herod appears on the scene. He is the king and he stretched forth his hand in verse number 1 to vex certain of the church. So he is going to persecute certain individuals in the church and the ones that he's going to vex, the one that he's going to persecute, and by the way the word vex means persecution unto death, he wants to get the leadership. He wants to get the leadership. The same is true with the devil. If the devil can discourage me and set my mind on the wrong course, then there's a good chance you'll be able to see that in my life. As difficult as the situation was in my life concerning John Grady, with my mother-in-law, with my father-in-law, the things that are happening all around us uh, in regards to it looks like, man, the preacher really is going through a difficult time. I thank God that I get to go through a difficult time because it creates this dependence upon God. If your pastor's going to stand up here and says, set your gaze on God and only glance at your problems, then God's going to put me to the test and I want you to see that every time you lock your gaze on God, he'll take you through the problems. He'll do it. And he's doing that today. And he's doing that with great authority. Same thing is true here. Now here's Herod. He's stretching out his hands to vex or to kill the leadership in the church. Verse 2. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered unto him four quartirians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So here's the deal. After he killed James, Herod desperately wanted to kill Peter also, but he couldn't because it was the Passover season. Easter was being celebrated. Verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in a prison. Here's two words I'd underline. This is the game changer. But prayer. But prayer. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him, for Peter. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains and keepers before the door that kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side. I love the word smote there because he's not just poking him. This joker's sound asleep. He says, boom, wake up, boy. 
Sometimes God's got to get your attention. He'll slap you a few times to wake you up. The Bible says that he, he smote Peter on the side, said, Get up, raise up, raised him up. After saying, Rise up quickly, get up fast, he says. And his chains fell from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind thy sandals. And so he did. And as he saith unto him, Cast thy garments about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not that it was true which was done by the angels, but thought he was a vision. So uh, remember, the last time, Peter had this, last time Peter had a vision, he saw this sheet coming down, and God's telling him to have a big barbecue. You remember that? So here he is in this prison. He's thinking, oh, here's another vision. This will be fascinating. And uh, again, remember what's going to happen to Peter the next day. He's going to die. According to Herod, he's going to die. And so he's thinking in his mind, this is a vision. Let me see what God has to say. So go on. Notice verse 10. When they were past the first and second ward, they came into an iron gate that leadeth into the city, which was opened unto them of, his own, of its own accord, of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street. And forthwith the angel departed from him. So once they got out of the jail, the angel said, See you, buddy. I got something else I got to take care of. Whoop, he's gone. Verse 11. And when Peter was come to himself, when he says, Wait a minute, I'm really out of this jail. I'm standing in the middle of the street. He said, Now I know for a sure in verse 11 that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me out of the hands of Herod and from all the expectations of the people of the Jews and when he had considered the thing he came to the house of Mary mother of John whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together praying and as Peter knocked on the door of the gate a damsel came to hearken whose name was Rhoda and when she knew Peter's voice she did not even open the gate. She was so happy, but ran in and told how Peter was standing in front of the gate. Verse 15, and they said to her, you are crazy. You're mad. But they consistently, but she consistently affirmed that it was even so. And then they said, it's got to be an angel. Peter's in jail. He's got uh, more than 16, at least more than 16 guards all around him. He's got two guards that are chained to him in the front, two guards that are chained to him in the back. He, you are insane, Rhoda. You're crazy. It's got to be an angel. Verse 16. But Peter, the whole time, will someone please come open the door? The Bible says the damsel came and hearkened there uh, in verse number 15. The Bible says, uh, excuse me, let's go to verse number 16. But Peter continued knocking, and when, he had, and when they had opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. Verse 17, but he beckoning them uh, with a hand to hold their peace. Don't go crazy, he said. And then he declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go show these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Now, as soon as, as, as it was the, as day, there was no small stir among the soldiers that, Pe that what became of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him, he found him not. And he examined the keepers and he commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. Now let me just say something parenthetically here before I finish up in verses 20 through 25. Uh, we find Herod is so upset. He is so angry about what's happened here. He is going to put the guards to death and he leaves town. He goes to Caesarea. He goes to his summer vacation home to rest a little while. And while he's on the way there, he's already upset with another city. And he's so upset with that city, he cuts off the food supply to that city. And as he cuts off the food supply to that city, that city sends representatives to the second in command of Herod. And as they send this, this, uh, this group, if you would, to the second in command, they petition the second in command to please give them food. Why? Remember, there's a drought going on and they need food. They're about to die. Notice what happens in verse 20. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, uh, arrayed in royal apparel, 
sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. Historians say that upon this day, when this a group of individuals from these two cities came and petitioned the king, he said, I want to speak to him. So historians say that he put on a silver robe, almost like aluminum foil in its reflection. And he stood before the people and he gave an oration. He spoke to them and gave a speech to them that astonished them. And they began to worship him like a god. Look at what happened there in verse number 21. The Bible says, And upon a set day he put on this royal robe and sat upon his throne and made an oration to them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord, when's the last time you saw him? Poking, smoting Peter to get out of the, get up, let's get out of here. Here we find an angel of the Lord now smiting Herod. But this time it's a different kind of smiting. The Bible says that the Lord smote him because he gave not glory to, the, to God. Or gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and he gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. When you look at this text, did you see how the church remained faithful even when the culture was unfaithful? When you look at verse number 1, you can't help but notice the phrase, Now about that time, Herod. Herod is very important. I would circle or underline that word Herod because Herod is not a name. Herod is more of a title. As a matter of fact, when you look at the Word of God, you'll see that in Scriptures there are multiple Herods. There were three Herods in the New Testament. It all started in the New Testament with a man by the name of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the Herod uh, that was there when the Magi was coming through. You remember the story as we just finished up Christmas these magi came before him and there was such a anger upon this Herod that he wanted them to go see where the child was and then come back and report so that he too could, quote, worship the king. He didn't want to worship at all. In fact, we know that this Herod was the one that eliminated all the babies there trying to eliminate Jesus. This Herod was a wicked Herod. He was a lunatic. As a matter of fact, Herod the Great was so bad that he had his son killed. He didn't want his son to even reign. And so this Herod that we find in the Scriptures, the first one that we run into is Herod the Great. The second Herod you come in contact with is uh, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the Herod who enjoyed hearing John the Baptist preach. In fact, uh, we also know he was also the Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded. He could not stand the righteousness that John the Baptist preached. And he was also the one that was a part of the execution of Jesus Christ. This Herod was the uncle of the Herod we find in Acts chapter 12. When we come to Acts chapter 12, we find that Acts chapter 12, the Herod that is on the uh, scene at this time ruling is a Herod by the name of Herod Agrippus I. Herod Agrippus I is a very interesting Herod. He was a, uh, when he was young, he had some very serious problems. Tiberius the Caesar did not like him at all because he incurred so much debt and he would not pay the debt back. The Caesar looked at, uh, looked at Herod um, Atippus I and said, You are not doing right, and put his hands on him and threw him in prison. As he was in prison, Tiberius died. When Tiberius died, uh, we find that Calagula became emperor. And when Calagula became emperor, he looked and he said, You know what? Uh, my friend, my, my high school friend growing up, is in prison. Herod Antipas the first. Let him out. And so they let out Herod Antipas the first and put him in charge of some very important things. All because him and Calagula were friends when they were children. They were childhood 
friends. And so by the time Herod Agrippa I became responsible for all the things he was responsible for, he did so because he was friends with Calagula. And then Calagula died and left Herod Agrippa I, who desperately wanted to please the Jews, do everything in his power to learn from his past mistakes and befriend the Jews where they would love him and appreciate him. This gave this Herod incredible responsibility in pleasing the Jews, and he did so. So much so, he was respected of the Jews. He lived a very orthodox life when he was in Jerusalem. He followed all the laws. He followed all the religious rituals. He even tried to be very much like the Jews. There was only one problem. He was not Jewish. He was of the Edomites. And so here was a half-blood, if you would, leading the Jews. But he had adopted, if you would, a God-fearing responsibility so where he would take the law and he would stand before the Jews and he would talk about it. And historians say in the Mishnah, which is the oral book of the law, they say that uh, in portraying of King Herod Agrippa I, we find that he was described as a very interesting man in reading the law. One log says this, and let me quote from the log. It says, King Agrippa received the scroll standing up one day, and he was reading it as he was standing. And as he was reading it, the Jews began to praise him. And then he reached a segment in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 15, that says this, You may not put a foreigner... Over you who is not your brother. And history records that Agrippa's eyes filled with tears. And as he read that, he began to cry. It was at that time that the Jews responded to his emotional distress. And said this to Herod. You are our brother. You are our brother. You are our brother. Do you see what the Jews did there? History records that the Jews would rather listen to a man than listen to the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, history is citrical. It goes round and round and round and round and round. And here we are, we find ourselves in the same mess today culturally. We would rather listen to the educated of this world rather than listen to the Word of God. And so we find here that man was saying, whatever you want to do, king, whatever you want to do, Herod, whatever you want to do, just like we too see in our culture today, whatever the government wants to do, whatever the government wants to do, whatever the government wants to do. It was in this setting when the culture is so divided that Paul and Barnabas have the task of going into this culture And helping the church with a love offering. So what can we learn? What can we learn from this introduction? What can we learn from the culture? We can learn something very important in verses 1 through 4. It's not a part of the uh, points that I want to give you. It's more of an introduction. But here's what we learn in the first four verses. Listen to me very carefully considering the culture. Sometimes God allows His faithful servants... To be martyred. Sometimes God allows his faithful servants to be martyred. Look at verses 1 through 4 again. Now about this time when Herod is putting extreme pressure on the church. When the culture is coming down upon the church. When people are being picked out by the government. To destroy, to discredit, to put down. The Bible says that Herod killed James. The brother of John with a sword. Sometimes God allows his faithful servants to be martyred. This James is one of the twelve. This James is the brother of John. This James is one of the select three of Jesus' inner circle. Peter, James, John. James is put to death. It seems remarkable that the death of this great man, of this faithful man, James is summed up with a brief sentence. James was put to death with a sword. That's it. The Bible doesn't go back to him. The Bible does not have a big long obituary about him. 
We do not find anything else about James, even in church history. Here's what church history records about, about James. Listen to this. There was a church historian by the name of Ubesus, and he says this about uh, this issue of James. He says that the guard who was with James, who was guarding James before the judge was to, uh, was so affected before the judge cast death upon James. This guard was so affected, affected by the witness of James that he declared himself under the watch care of James to be a born again Christian and said, because this man loves Jesus the way he loves Jesus, I'm accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior too. And although I'm watching over him and will continue to watch over him, I want to die by his side. And it is said in history that he was executed alongside of James, a born-again Christian. God loved James. God loved John. And, what he, and he loved Peter, but he allowed James to die. And he allowed John, his brother, to mourn the loss of his brother. But he delivered Peter. Does that not seem strange to you? Does that not hit you in a way that's like, man, it just, it just doesn't seem right. And there's no explanation. So we question, God, what are you trying to teach us here? Perhaps God is trying to teach the church that no man is indispensable of his cause. You see, brothers and sisters, this is the Lord Jesus Christ's church. This isn't my church. This isn't your church. This is his church. And because this is his church, he will put who he wants in this church to lead this church. Because it belongs to him. The church, the death of James, did not hinder the spread of the gospel. Number two, perhaps he was teaching uh, the church to trust him even when you don't understand what's going on. Brothers and sisters, this truth has hit your pastor home today. I don't understand why God allowed for John Grady to get sick. But I know this, God's getting glory from it. And he's getting so much glory from the sickness that John Grady has. I thank God that God saw fit to allow for us to go through the challenge so that we might give him glory and honor and praise. We must always, listen to this, we must always interpret our circumstances by God's love and not God's love by our circumstances. Just because you're going through a difficulty, do not think that God doesn't love you. Because He loves you, you will go through a difficult circumstance. As difficult as it is, we need to view death from God's eternal perspective and not our temporal perspective. And then what we find here in the text and what follows next from verse number 5 all the way to verse number 25, we see very clearly how the church stays faithful even in an unfaithful culture. There are three things. Please, I hope you'll receive these and it'll be an encouragement to you. Let me give them to you very quickly. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is that fervent prayer will not be defeated by the enemy. Fervent prayer will not be defeated by the enemy. If we as Maysville Baptist Church, if we are going to stay faithful to God, even in the midst of a culture that's unfaithful, if we're going to continue to love God, love others, and serve the world, then we have to understand that fervent prayer will not be defeated by the enemy. Our voices may be hushed. Things might go uh, different directions that we may not understand. But one thing that reigns and should stay solid and true, fervent prayer will not be defeated by the enemy. Peter uh, became the next target for Herod to kill. James was already dead and it pleased the Jews. And now Peter was arrested and put in prison. He would have already been uh, executed had it not been for the Passover. And the church immediately goes to prayer. Oh, I love what the Bible says in verse number 5. But Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing. And it was the church that made prayer for Peter. 
Uh, when we look at this passage of Scripture and we see that, but prayer, this one little line saved Peter's life and allowed for him to continue his ministry. This verse right here, but prayer, teaches us four things about prayer that will change your circumstance. Number one, the first thing is this. There is always hope when prayer is made. There's always hope when prayer is made. Now, you may not be able to control the circumstances of life, but prayer can always be made to change those circumstances. Far too many believers complain about their circumstances instead of making prayer to God to ask God to change their situation. Uh, the reaction uh, to your discouragement with your pastor should be, but prayer was made for him. Uh, the reaction that you might have to your problems or your spouse, the response should be, but prayer was made for them. Uh, the reaction to your problems with your boss should be, but prayer was made for them. Uh, the reaction uh, that, uh, that you need to have to a health situation is, but prayer was made by them. The reaction to a child that's going wayward, but prayer was made for them, my friend. But prayer was made is the only answer to give you hope in the situation you may find yourself in. This rang so true in my life. As John Grady was there, very lethargic, asking God to do something great in his life, I had but one prayer. God, help. Help. And he did. There's always hope when prayer is made. Number two, prayer should always be your reaction to a tragedy. Prayer should always be the reaction to our tragedy. This church in the first century didn't wait to pray until the situation got worse. They started praying immediately. Immediately they started praying. I see this to be so true in regards to our church. Just as soon as the word got out that John Grady uh, was sick and was in the hospital and things weren't looking good, they were in a dire, dire situation, the church began to pray. They didn't wait till the circumstances got worse. They just went to prayer right then, even though they didn't understand. Let's pray, let's pray. Don't let the worsening of your situation move you to pray, but let the happenings of the situation move you to prayer. Prayer should always be our reaction to tragedy. Number three, here's the third thing. Prayer is the only answer to free others from their prison. Prayer is the only answer to set others free from their prison. I'm telling you, there are people, individuals today, that are in prisons of their own making, and the only way they're going to get out is through prayer. Your prayer life should uh, not just be about you, but it should be about others. Dear friend, you can gossip about what others are doing or you can pray for God to release them from the prison of sin. We find ourselves in a situation where it's so easy to be volatile and hostile in our current culture and want to spew venom all out because we disagree with the current situation. Brothers and sisters, it's imperative it's imperative for the church to remain pure and holy and just and not just to love God, but to fear Him and to fear Him in such a way that we don't want to stray from the Word of God, that we know it's true. God said, love your enemies, and as difficult as it may be, we are called to do that by God. Hey. Human emotions never change another situation. The only thing that changes situations is divine intervention. And prayer is the greatest tool that God's given us to see divine intervention happen. Brothers and sisters, the only answer to free others from prison is prayer. Number four, your resolve and faith is often the determination for the answer you receive. Oh, don't miss this one. Your resolve and your faith is often the determination for the answer you receive. Look again at what the Bible says in verse 5. The Bible says, But Peter, who was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. They didn't give up. The church just didn't say, Oh, well, God help Peter. Amen. Let's all leave. No. 
They did it without ceasing. Can I, can I ask you this question? I wrote it down. I'm going to make sure I get it right. How long are you willing to pray for God to change your situation? How, willing, how, 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 uh, how long are you willing to pray for God to change the situation in our culture? So, well, I, it is what it is. God's going to have his way. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even going to pray about it anymore. If you don't have the faith to keep praying, you'll rarely see your, your prayers answered. Can I just be honest with you? I really believe, I really believe there's another great spiritual awakening here in our nation. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't pray for it. But because I believe it, I pray for it. Say, so, Pastor, we are so far gone. We are so far down. We are so away from God. We are so unfaithful to God. Just when things seem the worst, that's when God shows up. The Bible tells us in James chapter 5, uh, verse 16, that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. That is to say that we need to be systematically consistent with our prayer lives. And in doing so, God does a great work. So what are the takeaways? What, what, do, you, what do you take away from verses 5 through 25 in regards to this issue of, of prayer? Fervent prayer will not be uh, defeated by the enemy. Let me give you three takeaways. Number one, here's the first one. God is most glorified when we are most helpless and totally dependent on Him. I got a, a phone call uh, after we finally got home, uh, the executive director of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board called and he just simply said, Shane, he said, what, what happened? And after already wrestling with the question in my heart, uh, the, the answer was physically what happened. John Grady had a bacterial infection. We didn't know he had a bacterial infection because we were treating... Uh, a sinus infection and strep infection. The doctors, everybody, that's what we were treating. We did not know in the background behind that there was a greater problem. There was a bacteria that was growing inside of him. And so after multiple antibiotics and a uh, steroid, we thought things were looking better. And then all of a sudden, after the steroid was gone, he got sick very quickly. We called the doctor. They said, please take him to, uh, to, to Choa. And we rushed him to the hospital. And they began working on him and taking care of him. And I praise God that what was supposed to be a two-week stay in the hospital ended up being five days. And John Grady's getting stronger and better every, every day. And, and here's the way I see it. This is the way I see it. I wanted God to get the greatest glory from this. Whichever way he saw fit. So if I want my son healed, but God, if it'll bring you greater glory to heal him divinely, just miraculously touch his body and heal him, that's what I want. God, if you want to heal him through uh, medicine and through the knowledge and giftedness that you've given doctors, I pray that you do that. But here's one thing I know. When you've got a, a group of doctors that's standing there in front of you and they're scratching their head and they're wondering what's going on and they're, you're, they're asking a million questions trying to figure out just exactly what has happened with the infectious disease doctors and all of these things taking place and they say we, we're not sure but we think that's why they call it a practice we think we think this is it and this will work dear brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ I'm glad I serve a God that doesn't think I'm grateful I serve a God that knows He's put every bone in its place. He's put every muscle in this body. He knows everything that's going on. He could just reach down and touch it. And so, God, I just said, Lord, however you want to get the most glory from this, I pray you'd get the most glory from it. And in my deepest, most helpless time of total dependence upon him, he reached down and touched John Grady's life. Oh, listen to me, brothers and sisters. In Peter's most darkest hour... He's going to die the next day. In his most helpless situation, 
he could lean back and rest assured that God was going to deliver him, and it was a win-win. If he lived, it was a win. If he died, it was a win. And so he's in such a deep sleep, according to the Word of God, that the angel had to say, Wake up! Let me ask you this. How sure are you that God's going to deliver you from your situation to a point where you're so helpless all you can do is rest in Jesus? Number two, God often moves when we think it's too late. Right when we think it was too late. You know, here's the one thing we say about John Grady's situation. Man, it was almost too late. We almost didn't make it. Sounds a whole lot like what happened in Lazarus' situation. When Jesus showed up four days after he was dead, and they said, if you've only been here, Lord, you're, you're four days late. I promise you this, dear friend. Listen to me this very carefully. You may be going through a difficult and you need this. You're going through a hard time, a difficult time, and, and you think God's four days late. I promise you, when you think he's four days late, he is right on time. He's going to come just exactly when you need it most. Why? Because oftentimes God moves when we think it's too late. And then here's the third and final takeaway from these first verses in verses 5 through 20. Verses 5 through verse 20. The second, or verse 19. The third thing we see is God works through the prayers of his people in a lesson of dependence. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, Now... Uh, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundant all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Remember, we have a power working inside of us. That's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You say, well, well preacher, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I want to see God do a miraculous deliverance. I want to see God do what he did here in this time. I want to see that today. You've got to remember, brothers and sisters, the Word of God is not being completed yet. The scripture tells us, Peter says, we as born again children of God, with the word of God, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And so there's this, this, this uh, period of time, if you would, before the word of God is being completed, that there's these supernatural gifts that have been given to the apostles and that God is doing great and mighty things to show forth this issue of faith that he is working and demonstrating his great power. We today see that great power today, but it's concentrated, watch this, in one great miracle, and that's a lost person coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. You say, well, you don't believe in miracles? I very much believe in miracles. I very much believe it. I'm telling you, God can touch and he can do more. I've seen the blind uh, with cancer be able to see. I've watched individuals get up off their sick bed. I've seen people that's on death door. God raised them up. God can do miracles. And he still does. But the greatest miracle he, that he does is when one lost person comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Fervent prayer will not be defeated by the enemy. Number two, let me give you a second thing we see in verses 20 through 23. i got to hurry. The second thing we see, we're talking about a church that's going to stay faithful in an unfaithful culture. Uh, the first thing we see is that we understand that fervent prayer will not be defeated by the enemy. Number two, here's the second thing. Flagrant rejection will not be accepted by God. Verses 20 through 23, we see Herod flagrantly reject God. And there is an eternal consequence. Notice what the Bible says again in verse number 20 to be reacquainted with it. The Bible says, And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him. Having uh, made Blastus the king's chambermaid, chamberlain uh, their friend. And he desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. Remember the famine is going on. And the king had cut off the food supply. And as his food supply was cut off, it was cut off because he was upset with these two cities. The Bible says in... Uh, Upon a set day, Herod was going to listen to them, so he put on this silver-lined royal apparel. 
And he sat on the throne, and, and it's outside in the sunshine, and it's reflecting all this uh, like a mirror. I mean, it's just all out there. And the people wanting food and being desirous of food said whatever they needed to say to get help. And so the people shouted, and they said with a loud voice, This is the voice of God, not of man. Basically what they were saying is, Herod, you're God. Herod, you're God. You are God, Herod. You're God. And what did Herod say? I am. And he flagrantly rejected. Rejected. Now remember, this rejection that has taken place is history upon history upon history of the Herods wanting to kill Jesus and snuff out the Messiah to such a case where this Herod lives a Jewish life. As an Edomite. And he says, I am the Messiah. And that flagrant rejection was not taken well by God. And the angel who just recently smote uh, uh, Peter on the side and told him to get up, we got to get out of here, turned and smote Herod. And he died. Why? Because flagrant rejection will not be accepted by God. There, through the histories, we find that there have been many, many individuals that have done their best to take glory away from God. And when you read this section, you actually see what's very fascinating is you see two lessons that we can walk away from. Lesson number one is this. Seeking glory for ourselves declares war against God. When we seek glory for ourselves, we declare war with God. God will not give his glory to another. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. Isaiah chapter 46, uh, verse 11. God will not, he will not let one receive glory that's due to him. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. So do you look around today and these people, if that be true, then why are people not dropping dead because of the glory that they seek for themselves? Why are they getting away with it? Oh, friend, let me just remind you, don't think that they're getting away with anything. They are not getting away with it. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. What we find here is this. If we seek to exalt ourselves, the Lord surely will humble us. We must all beware of the temptation of pride in taking credit for ourselves when it is God and God alone and His mercy who deserves the praise. Oh, one of the first in a long line of rulers who fought God was the pharaohs. Remember the pharaohs? The pharaohs always tried to rule against God. And what happened to them? They died. Still the pharaoh fought and fought and fought and the army drowned in the Red Sea. You look in Scripture and you find that the Canaanite king of the Arabs part, uh, their war, they tried to have war against God by puffing themselves up in Numbers chapter 21. What happened to them? They died. The Amorites died. Og died. Balak died. Moab died. Balaam died. Balak again died. They died. Every one of them died that was at war with God. You can't go to war with God and win. Seeking glory for oneself declares war against God. Number two, you never win when you're at war with God. You never win when you're at war with God. Herod's glory was short-lived. And his misery is eternal. Even the Antichrist and the false prophets will... Only enjoy the glory that they have for three and a half years. Then they'll be cast into the lake of fire. All those who have never submitted to God will be thrown into the lake of fire. Hell is real. And a flagrant rejection of Jesus Christ will not be accepted by God. Verses 20 through 23 is a very serious attempt by God to show us The truth. And the truth is, you cannot escape the judgment of God. The church clearly understands 
that flagrant rejection will not be accepted by God. The church clearly understands fervent prayer will not be defeated by the enemy. And then here's the third one very quickly uh, as I'm running out of time. Verses 24 and 25. The third thing we understand if we're going to be faithful in an unfaithful culture is that a focused commitment will always be blessed in the church. Notice what the Bible says in verse 24 and 25. The Bible says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had uh, fulfilled their ministry. And took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Don't miss this. Remember what the task was. In the midst of this cultural upheaval, when the government was cutting off aid to cities and they were starving to death, There was Paul and Barnabas who were commissioned by the Gentile church to take the offering in the midst of a difficult culture and take that offering to the church of Jerusalem so that ministry could continue to flourish for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the midst of that exchange, James dies Peter is in prison. A funeral has to be held. Peter is released from prison. Mourning is still taking place in the Jerusalem church. Yet aid is with them. What do they do? Do they shut down? Do they they just quit? Do they stop ministry? Do they halt everything and say, the culture demands that we stop. Let's stop. Nope. The church says, let's go tell one more person about Jesus and the Bible says that the word of God because of that focus in completing the ministry the word of God grew watch this and multiplied it didn't say it was added the Bible uses multiplication because when a church remains faithful to God even when the culture is unfaithful God's blessings fall upon that church. And the church will grow numerically and it will multiply numerically as people receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. So watch this. There are actually three. There are three ways the church grows. Three three ways the church is blessed. Number one, watch this, through salvations. Through salvations, people get saved. The Bible says the church grew and multiplied. That means people received Christ as their Savior. Do you see what's happening here? They're not letting their current cultural situation stand in the way of the gospel getting out. There's a lesson here for us, church. I'm telling you, there's a lesson here. Number two, they also grew through baptisms. People continued to be baptized even in the midst of cultural hardship. A famine was going on. They had an unruly uh, individual that was ruling over their region. This individual wanted to be God. He wanted to set himself up as God. Wanted to be worshipped as God. And God took care of him. But the church had a responsibility. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep Seeing people saved. Keep sharing. Keep sharing that they need to be baptized. Keep telling them about Christ. And then number four, through spiritual growth. At the very moment that we stop and say, you know what? We don't need this anymore. What we need is, we we need for me to come up here and get my little stool and and sit down and say, "Uh, I'm okay, you're okay. We're going to be okay. Just love one another. Oh, it doesn't matter what you believe. Believe whatever you want to believe. You want to hold the homosexuality? That's fine. Go ahead. Go right ahead. That's wonderful, wonderful. You want to hold to the fact of the modern definition of marriage? and rege- That's fine. That's fine. God loves you anyways. God knows what we're going through. You know, God. But look, here's what I want you to do. Just take your Bibles, open it up, and put your finger down there, and then whatever that verse means to you, then that means something to you, and praise God for it that He's he still speaking to you. We could approach it like that. Everybody'd love it. 
The world would love it. The culture would love it. Or, or we can take this approach, church. Let God's word be true and everybody else a liar. And we can say it's going to get rough. It's going to get hard. But here's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to love our enemy. And we're going to stand on biblical truth. And if the Bible says that women do not need to be pastors of local congregations, then we're not going to ordain women as pastors. If the Bible says that a marriage is between a man and a woman, then we're going to do what the Bible says, and we're going to marry from that extent. If the Scripture tells us that life begins at conception, we're going to hold to this, and we're going to follow this, even, even if it goes against the culture. And then here's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to clearly understand... That fervent prayer will not be defeated by the enemy. Number two, we're going to clearly understand that a flagrant rejection will not be accepted by God. And number three, we're going to understand that a focused commitment will always be blessed in the church. So this is a call today for you and I to clearly accept the mission that God has put us here To fulfill. Love God. Love others. Serve the world. These are the three things. That we as a congregation. Need to set at the forefront of our hearts and minds. And practice. Every. Single. Day. I had a very interesting. Thing happen to me while I was in the hospital with John. I was sitting there just minding my own business. A doctor came in. John Grady was in the bathroom and a conversation was struck up. He looked at me and he said, um, You're a pastor. And I said, Yeah, I am. He said, Where do you pastor? I said, I, I pastor over at uh, Maysville Baptist Church. I said, where is that? I shared. He said, I want to look that up. Maybe watching today. Again, I said it probably. I want to say publicly, thank you for taking care of my son. Thank you. And invited him and different things like that. And the conversation was over. I told Mira about the exchange. She said, you know what's fascinating? She said, I didn't tell anybody you were a pastor. John Gray didn't tell anybody I was a pastor. So in my mind, I'm thinking in my heart, how did he know I'm a pastor? How does he know this? I mean, because I'm going to be honest, I don't have my books all laid out in there. I, I just, I'm just there take care for my son. I'm not quite sure, but here's one thing I do know. I do know people are watching you, and they're seeing how you respond to cultural changes Biblical unfaithfulness and difficult times. And they can tell whether or not you truly believe what this says. They, they do. They, they see it and they're watching. Do you really believe what this says? Then regardless of what happens, regardless of what happens, may he get all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Let us bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed here, maybe you're here today and maybe you um, maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you're struggling with the challenge of difficulties. And through those difficulties, maybe you're needing a touch from God. God wants to touch you today, sir, ma'am. He wants to touch you. Would you just do this today? From your heart to God's heart, I'm going to ask you, would you ask God to forgive you? Would you ask God to do something great in your life? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that if someone here doesn't know Christ as Savior, today would be the day. 
Dear friend, if you're here, do you want to trust Christ as your Savior? Would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I trust you as Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.